This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 25th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Rand Paul and Marco Rubio were both elected to the U.S. Senate under the banner of the Tea Party, but their differences on matters of foreign policy are hard to overstate. Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and author of the book, The Power Problem, explains. When we think about this and there is this sense that these are the two kind of uh, archetypes of uh, the future of the Republican Party and they represent very different visions. First of all, I wondered whether or not that was actually true, uh, whether uh, a lot of this has been fought, as you say, because neither of them, of course, have declared for the presidency. It's far too early for that. But, it, but a lot of this has been fought by proxies, people who are advocates for them. Uh, is it fair I asked uh, to to attribute those advocates' views to the candidates that they're supporting. That's not always fair or accurate. So I actually went back and I reread um, Marco Rubio's speech that he gave to the Brookings Institution a year ago today, actually April twenty fifth, two thousand twelve, um, and just kind of review what exactly he had said and the context, et cetera. And I concluded that, in fact, his main surrogates are uh, representing accurately his views. Uh, He, for example, was introduced to the audience at Brookings by Joe Lieberman, uh, the uh, former Democratic senator, then independent senator, uh, importantly, you know, a, a, a leading advocate for the war in Iraq, for war with Syria, for pressure on Iran. And, and uh, Lieberman celebrated Rubio as in that tradition. And Rubio likewise celebrated Lieberman's uh, uh, standing as this within this bipartisan foreign policy consensus. And in the speech, he uh, invoked Robert Kagan as a leading neoconservative, again, one of the leading advocates for the war in Iraq with Bill Kristol and others, um, and, and really celebrated Kagan's work. And so it, it is fair to see Marco Rubio as reflective of a certain perspective on the world, uh, on foreign policy that is very consistent with the neoconservatives that, who, who are his uh, strongest supporters. It's worth noting that Barack Obama likes uh, yes. Robert Kagan quite a lot as well. Yes, it is worth noting that Barack Obama likes Robert Kagan. The speech, most importantly, I think the speech that uh, Barack Obama gave upon accepting the Nobel Prize uh, is one that uh, w- that Robert Kagan uh, was truly enthusiastic about. He frankly could have written it at the time. Um, I think it speaks to a truly bipartisan consensus here in Washington around the notion of the United States as the indispensable nation, the idea that the United States should, in fact, be subsidizing the security of other countries so that they don't have to, uh, the notion that foreign aid, other forms of foreign aid is is uh, appropriate and should be, uh, we should be more generous, not more stingy. All of those kinds of ideas, there is a bipartisan uh, tradition in American politics around those ideas, but we also know that those ideas are extraordinarily unpopular outside of the Beltway. Uh, Marco Rubio in a speech at the Brookings Institution said, many loyal supporters back home were highly critical of my decision to call for a more active role, a U.S. role in Libya. Correct. Uh, that's right. So we saw, and he he highlighted this fact that there were 
uh, liberal Democrats and conservative Republicans, some of whom were in favor of a more aggressive posture towards Libya, more aggressive even than what President Obama did. There were other liberal Democrats and conservative Republicans who were equally opposed. So we're starting to see uh, the breakdown of this bipartisan consensus, which has held in Washington for several decades. And I think, frankly, it does reflect uh, a growing war weariness uh, among the public at large, uh, recognition that we are bankrupt and, and growing more so, not less so, uh, and that having the kind of military posture that we've maintained for uh, decades now is extraordinarily costly and will grow more costly, uh, not less so, if we continue to discourage other countries from defending themselves. Now, uh, Rand Paul has been uh, highly critical of American adventurism around the world in his uh, speech, or I should say his filibuster in the U.S. Senate, <laughs> right. floor of the U.S. Senate, he talked extensively about our uses of drones abroad right. and the risks that they pose. Right. So it seems that he's, uh, at, at the very least, far more skeptical of uh, the uses of military power overseas. I, I think he is more skeptical of the uses of military power. and I think he is reflective of uh, a, a very different sense than Marco Rubio about the costs of American uh, adventurism and the benefits that we derive. Marco Rubio believes those costs are relatively low and the benefits are enormous. Rand Paul, to oversimplify, thinks the costs are very high and the benefits are meager. Uh, again, there is a pretty clear consensus among the American people uh, emerging that uh, they would like other countries to do more, to do more for their own security, to do more to deal with the urgent challenges around the world. Interestingly, on the question of the filibuster, uh, the drone, the use of drones, of course, makes it easier and somewhat cheaper for the United States to engage in wars abroad or, or things that are sh that is short of wars, killing people without uh, having it look like a war. And that was another part of, of uh, uh, Rand Paul's criticism was precisely that, that it allows the president, it grants the president even more power. It, uh, it reduces the Congress even more to just kind of a bystander role. Uh, recall, however, that uh, during that filibuster, Marco Rubio, but also uh, Ted Cruz, uh, rose in support of uh, Rand Paul's filibuster. Uh, I think that that was more a, a perception, correct, that the, the public was uh, quite enthused about this and they were trying to get behind it. But I don't think we should interpret, and certainly not with respect to Marco Rubio, uh, that he shares Rand Paul's ideas that, uh, or concerns about the costs of American military intervention. And, uh, if anything, Marco Rubio thinks we should be more interventionist, not less. It's especially striking uh, in talking about Rubio's speech at Brookings about his complaint that the uh, kinetic action in Libya was mm. not active enough right. when you could have just as easily made an argument that as a member of the U.S. Senate, the president really should need the permission of Congress in order to engage in this type of activity. Right. I mean, we've seen within the Congress, both in the House and the Senate, there is a a a caucus, a cohort, it's not as formal as a caucus, but there are a number of people who do believe that uh, the rules governing the use of force are outdated and that the Congress, even though the co Constitution clearly stipulates that Congress would have uh, at least a co-equal, if not a dominant role, uh, position vis-a-vis -vis the president, there are, there are some people in Congress who think that's wrong, who think that it is, it is better that the president is able to wage war uh, with fewer um, restrictions. On the other hand, there are some in Congress who are trying to reassort, reassert congressional authority uh, because they fear uh, granting too much power 
power to one person, uh, and also because they see that we have become uh, extraordinarily uh, uh, involved, in, in, entangled even, in a number of these places, and uh, members of Congress have not really uh, put the brakes on those, uh, with, with very few exceptions. Chris Prabble is author of The Power Problem, How American Military Dominance Makes Us Less Safe, Less Prosperous, and Less Free. He is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.